Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, guys. Welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast. Brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host this evening, Kamiar Morabian, and joining me is Chisholm Holland. Chisholm, how are you doing this evening? Twitter is uh, it's uh, not looking so hot, but how are you? <laughs> yeah, this might be really funny in the morning if this A, turns out to be true, and Twitter literally does not exist by the time we wake up, or B, this is all just like smoke for nothing, and it's all very silly. But either Twitter will or will not exist tomorrow, which I guess is true every day, but today feels a little bit more important. Gosh, like... Can you imagine the amount of productivity that would go on uh, in several places of work if Twitter did officially just like melt down? Yeah. How much yeah. screen time would just like immediately just like decease? Yeah. So I don't, Twitter is the only social media I have. Uh, and I've already, I've already been very public that if Elon ruins Twitter, then I'm out of the social media game. I'm done. Outside of Reddit, which I don't know if Reddit really counts, yeah. but. Yeah, Reddit, yeah, Reddit's kind of like that. That's that. It's that one. Other than di- like, other than Discord, but like you have to like actually get into a Discord. You have to find a link to get into a Discord. So it's yeah, like, that's how like do you more like interactive. Links? Like the thing that gets me about social. This is gonna be a weird conversation to start with. The thing that gets me about social is like Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff is all about being like as popular as possible. Yeah, like Reddit's anonymous, right? And so like it yeah. doesn't do you any good. It's but it's just other, yeah, just other just to interact. Like you're just there yeah. to interact, and that feels different to me than. You know, Twitter where everybody's just trying to get likes and stuff like that. Gosh, remember the Omega the Omegle days? Oh, dude, yeah. That's that great was, stuff. That's some weird conversations, man. Yeah. But anyway, anyways, we got a game to talk about, y'all. It's Bedlam this Saturday. Oklahoma plays. Uh it's it's a Norman, 6:30, ABC Prime Times. Oklahoma right now, I believe, is a seven and a half favorite. Um, Sanders, uh, from what they say, like he says he expects to play. Gundy says publicly anyways that he's happy with Sanders' decision if he wants to go. Of course, we'll know a kick. The game is going to be starting at about 50 degrees and, of course, just decreasing from there. So it's going to be a pretty, pretty, pretty chilly game. But Chisholm, just like last week, your first thoughts about this game when you think about it like do you think about if the sanders thing is drummed up a little bit or do you expect him to play or are there just other thought other thoughts immediately before that yeah so i think sanders is gonna play um he's a tough kid always been a tough kid uh and you know he came out basically right after the iowa state game was like nah i'm playing in bedlam like i was trying to sit out this week but like i was gonna play next week no matter what and i'm just gonna take him at his word but no, like my first thought actually this entire week has always has been we got three more of these counting this one that like we know of. And after this, like this this series is is gone into the ether until these two schools find a way to act like grown-ups again. 
and this one is weird because like there's no hype around either one of these teams. Like Oklahoma State got back up in the top 25, I guess, this week. Yep. Uh, so credit to them. But obviously Oklahoma season has not been what they were hoping for, but it's a first year of Brent Venables. It's, you know, Mike Gundy coming back at it for a long time, dealing with quarterback injuries. And like, there's not a lot of buzz here. But because it's what potentially the third to last bedlam for the foreseeable future, there is a little bit of buzz here. And so, I don't know, it's an interesting dynamic. It's 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 important because it's finite. Like if, if Bedlam was still going to go on forever, I don't know if I would care as much about this game as I do right now. I think the fact that it's one of the last few adds juice that it would otherwise not have because there's not a lot for either one of these schools going into it. Oh, and, and it felt like that last year as well. I mean, with the comments that were made between both teams, especially from Oklahoma State's side with Spencer Sanders, like, you know, setting them out with a loss and stuff like those kind of, kind of, kind of comments alluding to that regarding Oklahoma and the SEC, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and like, like, Venables even mentioned, like, hey, we could play these guys a few more times and like, maybe alluding to future plans for OU or just what he's just suggesting as far as coach speak, who knows? The first thing that I thought that came to mind was, okay, well, is Spencer Sanders going to be mobile? Well, it's the shoulder injury, but would it, will he be nursing that and be careful? Sure. But I, he still has legs. So that's going to be problems for OU's defense. And then uh, my second thought was, well, Oklahoma state's pass defense. Isn't that great? But, Oklahoma's passing offense has not been consistent. So, sure. I mean, like it's it's a lot of uh it's a lot of weird. And yeah. so okay. do you know where we, where these two offenses rank in the Big 12 right now? I saw this today and I couldn't believe it. Shout out to Barry Trammell for pointing mm, it out. Where they rank in the Big 12? Give me what? 3 and 4? Two like two proven quarterbacks, right? Two big-time offensive coordinators. Yeah. 8th and ninth. Wow. Eighth and ninth. This is not like some giant, holy cow, they're going to hang a hundred on each other. This yeah. is a, a sad sack fight here going on. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, it, that's, is that off of total, total points or yards? I think it's by NCAA efficiency. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically like possession. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, like it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, you, you have 10 games Oklahoma has played so far. They are five and five, not bowl eligible. Um, we, when Steven was on the podcast with us last week, we all said Oklahoma would be in seven and five by the end of the year. Yeah, and it it's just been one thing after another for this team, and so like you're just waiting on them to do like put put the pieces together, and so for Oklahoma sitting at five and five, looking down like. Hey, these next two games, can you get bowl eligible? Can you, what does it mean to make a bowl game in the season? Is, is that important for Brent or how much importance is that for Brent? If there is, if there is. I think it is important. Uh, Cause I think the practices matter. Uh, not for anybody who's currently like playing snaps, but for Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie and Jake Taylor and all those like, Saving on Bird, like all those guys need the practices uh, to run with the ones because this team has been so desperate just to tread water that I can't imagine they've been doing a lot of young player development in practice. Um, so yeah, like I, th- I, th- I think it matters. An interesting question I got asked yesterday that I would love to know your two thoughts. So like I think we both agree, like 
for the development of the guys currently on campus, the practices make a difference. Mm-hmm. But if they don't make a bowl game, that means Brent Venables would have no obligations during the final stretch of recruiting and the first initial wave of transfer portal. Is that more valuable to have Brent fully dedicated to rebuilding the roster as opposed to spending time with this young linebacking core and this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. I actually, I don't know if there's a right answer. I think that's actually really, really good question. Gosh, that's, that's kind of tough. I mean, like I, I, at some point you would say yes, especially when you want to go after the more high profile guys that are going to be there. And, I can understand why some would say that because of the high profile guys that are in the portal that Oklahoma could come and get. Uh, At the same time though, I could definitely see where some would say no, where they would say, Hey, you need to focus on the game and really just like hit the, hit the portal right after your bowl game. Because if Oklahoma is to make a bowl game, it would be a very early bowl game. And With that in sight, these bigger transfer portal guys that especially Oklahoma is probably going to need moving on into the future, these next at least couple years, um, those are going to be guys that we're going to be fielding offers, and they'll probably like make their decision a little bit later in the process, I would imagine. Sure. Um, instead of the more or have ancillary already made their decision right now, like yeah, 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 or like or uh, yeah, for like the more ancillary pieces that they yeah. want to build on. Uh, what, what do you what do you think? What, what was your what was your thoughts about it? Um, I, I so originally I thought like that's a really silly question. What a what a dumb thing to say. Obviously the practices matter because that's what I've heard my whole career. Right? Yeah. It's like these bowl practices are so crucial. And like the more and more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, these these bowl practices are crucial. But in in the grand landscape of things, like how many of these are Brent Venables guys? One class that he kind of threw together, right? Like yeah. credit to him, it, it worked out okay. But one class of this is Brent Venables guys. And so you're sacrificing the development of those guys. Uh, But it's really clear that like this roster is so much further away than we thought in the off season. And like, that's on me and my evaluation process. But like, they've got a lot of holes, not just like of who's the, what's the linebacking growth or I don't know why I keep going linebacker, defensive line growth, quarterback growth of the next three or four years. But who the hell's starting on the offensive line next season? Yep. Right, like who, who's starting at right guard next year? Yep. And like that's a transfer portal thing. And I think that's obviously going to move a whole lot quicker. Um, so I don't know. I think like right now, if you told me it would actually make a difference, and Brent would know that before us, if he could just commit to recruiting transfer portal kids, recruiting high school kids, and that would actually be beneficial as opposed to, again, teaching Kobe McKenzie how to come and fill up an A-gap, I think I'd rather take that right now because the roster is so much more dire. So much more dire because, like, next year, I don't know about you, it already kind of feels like a punt. Like, what could this team possibly be next year with what they are right now? Like, how high could that bar possibly be? Yeah, it, it, it definitely feels like next year. I'm getting weird vibes of it's going to get worse next year before it gets better, possibly right. in the year subsequently after that. And then maybe that year right after that, when we talk about year 2025, 2026, like, it feels like next year is like maybe that kind of weird pitfall year where you have guys transfer out or guys leave to the NFL early combined with 
you have already portaled in guys in the defensive line. You need more portals into the on the defensive line and on the offensive line. Who's going to be your skill position guys? Are they right. all going to be freshmen, registered freshmen, uh, sophomores? Right. It definitely feels like one of those weird years that you're thinking you're like you're like hoping like Oklahoma can scrape by in the Big Twelve. Um, and like you have Dylan Gabriel, right? That's like that's that's the that's the quarterback. Uh, that's the North like, Star right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the compass of the team as far as like who would be leading that charge. Like you have Dylan Gabriel, uh, remnants of the offensive line uh javante barnes and a couple of young good receivers and then a, a bunch of young pieces on defense and it it, it feels it feels like a weird year and that's why i suppose you hope for that defensive jump and growth that and that would be necessary in the offseason my gosh but i can definitely see why people would say recruiting is a, a paramount right now because oklahoma needs a transfer portal like and even though Brent tries to downplay it. Yeah. Even though we all know it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Brent, Brent, I, I don't know this. Uh, no one has told me this. My assumption is the reason he downplays it is because he thinks it's like disrespectful to the guys in the room. Mm-hmm. I assume. Uh, but I, I don't think that really needs to be their major concern right now is like hurting those guys feelings. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, they're in a tough spot. They're in a really tough spot. And so I think that the portal stuff is going to be because it gets into the thing where it's like they they're the same next year. They're six and six. Let's say they win a game between now and the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, seven and five or whatever. A couple of years of that. And like that becomes like a pretty tough sell, right? Like Oklahoma's already having to, I don't want to say scramble, but like they're right. working to keep kids they have, not right. go out and get more right now from the recruiting standpoint outside of David Hicks, who they've already had you know previous connections with. And there was a little bit of funny business there. But like they're they're a little bit on keep what we have, not go out and, and snag more guys. You throw another losing season, you're you're again treading up water um, mm-hmm. in that regard. So I don't know. Just it's just an interesting thought exercise. Yeah, it's one of those it's one of those things where you hearken back to uh, the analysts saying Oklahoma was you know Nebraskaing themselves, yeah. and then OU beats Nebraska so handily because they played complimentary football, but uh, Nebraska is horrid. And then you yeah. have people saying, "Oh, well, Oklahoma's ranked in the top, you know, top five, and they were wrong." And then suddenly they lose a couple of games in a row, win two games in a row, lose a couple of games in a row. And here we are at this crossroads over the next couple of years, it feels like maybe. And like, who knows if Oklahoma keep, is, keeps the majority of this class together, the rebuild could be a little bit quicker than normal, than anticipated, but it takes more than one or two years. And so it is going to really take a portal job to make it happen. And like, it feels like basketball. That's what I was going to say. So it feels like the same thing with porters. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. With Porter Moser, it feels that exact same way uh, about them needing having guys of immediate need that they need that they that they have on the team, and so with Venables as the head coach, you know, do you feel like at all that with his messaging, with his defensive, because he's known as a defensive guru, but do you feel like his with his messaging and with his kind of tone with the players? has maybe waned as the season has gone on as far as like team buy-in or even a regression as a result? Or do you still feel like that 
the team is in good spirits as they appear sure. to be like, like it, it's, it's an, it's an odd read. Well, I, I, this is actually something I've talked about a lot this week uh, on the franchise. Um, what game would you say they came out like stereotypical Brent Venables chip on the shoulder angriest this year? Oh man. Like, oh man. Oklahoma came out. They're laying the wood. They're they're pissed. They're playing with the chip on their shoulder. Gotta look how physical this team is. Uh, I would say this is a Brent Venables defense if I ever saw one. I would say I look at Nebraska and Iowa State. Yeah. yeah. So like Nebraska's everyone's answer. Nebraska scored in their first two drives. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like yeah. Okay. <laughs> like that's the like that's the most physical game we've got. Um, I would say like that that is what I am staring at as far as because the, the locker room all seems to like each other. Everyone seems to like Brent. Everyone, you know, there, there's no rumors of dysfunction or 30 guys are like waiting on the moment they can mm-hmm. leave or everyone's pissed or no, it, it's really kumbaya. But we all know who Brent is. We all know how his defense at Clemson's played, right? It mm-hmm. was that. It was hair on fire, chip on the shoulder, physical football, push you around. Like we would rather be overly physical and make a mistake than get shoved around like school children. That has not translated at all. And like, that's what, if you're talking about like something that maybe Brent's messaging that isn't landing, that has to be the first thing that we talk about, right? Is the physicality, the fundamentally sound football that Brent Venables is known for isn't there defensively. Um, and I, I, do I attribute that to the kids? Do I attribute that to, you know, Brent maybe delivering his message one way and only one way. And when they haven't responded, not all, I don't know. I'm not in those rooms, but like, it's pretty clear that like they bought into like who Brent is as a person but they haven't like taken over the mentality of Brent, right? We, like, like I, I, that's not, that's not how I describe this defense at all. Like, if they were going out there and smacking people, but you know, blowing coverages on the back end or coming downhill a thousand miles an hour and just whiffing on guys' ankles, like, Oh, okay. You know, like these players aren't very good, but this is what Brent wants to do. I, I don't, really see any of that i mostly just see oklahoma getting pushed around and and standing flat-footed as guys run beside them so i don't know i i it's it's an interesting conversation as far as brent's message landing and it's tough to say that about like really when the defense came out with a chip on their shoulder at least played physical or played defense well you can only point to the teams that didn't necessarily play well that didn't necessarily have like the best offenses Right. But like you know, like you look at Iowa State. Like they even had, they even played well against West Virginia, except the offense sure. couldn't do anything. Sure, it, it, I think the so defense played so okay in those games. I just yeah. want to say they played physical, right? And yeah. Like again, that's that's just how I identify Brent is physicality. It just it just makes me wonder about the 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 different styles of defense and what you said a few podcasts ago. Uh, that I keep on like thinking about. Uh, you mentioned about how players like Deshaun White. Sure, he's doing well at the cheetah position, mm-hmm. but this is his like last year of eligibility, and you're having him learn this. And like the system is stacking blocks on blocks on blocks on blocks of knowledge. And so, like when I think of you know Deshaun White, I think of a guy that maybe yeah he's the senior team deserves to play, but at the same time. A guy like Jaron Canick, why might not he be getting more time, getting more looks in this in this defense mm-hmm. and stuff like that? 
And I was thinking about, man, like Danny Stutzman and a lot of other players on this defense that Danny Stutzman, he wasn't a starter for all the games last year. He didn't, he didn't play all the games last year. Of course he was hurt for a while. Right. And he's also been through, this is his first year in the same defense as other players. And it was making me think about that just, just for a moment of the day, like, this is his first year actually starting at linebacker mm-hmm. at Oklahoma. And not only that, it's he is also learning the exact same way that Jaron Kanick is. Maybe just has a year of extra Big 12 speed and weight yeah. and conditioning program. Sure. Like, isn't that, isn't that it's kind of wild to think about when actually sitting down and think about it. Yeah. I mean, team's really an experience. Brent's talked about that all year. Um, on the defensive side of the football. And they have a lot of guys who haven't played a lot of snaps who they're relying on a big way. And, and Danny Sussman's a great example. We think about him because he's the Twitter guy and the funny video guy. Yeah. And, but he's, I mean, he's, he's, I guess, just now crossed the threshold of playing a full season's worth of games, right? As a starting linebacker. And so he's a true sophomore. He's still trying to figure out a bunch of stuff. He's got two more years at minimum on campus, right? Mm-hmm. Like at minimum. Um, so like, he's got a long way to go and yeah, I mean, that's a good, like Billy Bowman's the same way. And he's a guy who we all feel like has played pretty well this year. Key Lawrence has a, you know, another couple seasons and, and key played a bunch of Tennessee, but he didn't play a bunch last year. Right. He dealt with a bunch of injuries. He's dealt with a bunch of injuries this year. Um, there's a lot of guys on this defense who just like the snap total has been small. I would say like that has been the, the thing that if you're looking at like what has been disappointing is like David Aguebu's played a bunch of football. He's been fine. Right. I don't know what, what word you would use, but fine. Right. He's played a bunch of football. Um, Jalen Redmond has played a handful of snaps, but even he's dealt with injuries early in his career. But he's at least one of the more experienced guys. And he's been a little hit or miss like the guys who should have came in and naturally made this jump to this new defense. Haven't. Yeah. Haven't. Yeah. And the guys who probably should have taken a little bit more time, like Billy Bowman, are the ones who kind of took to it. And, you know, that's interesting and probably a little telling as well. Yeah, and that that was always a, a lot of what I felt the season hinged on, but I didn't think it would also hinge on a lot of issues that I didn't perceive to be as big as an issue uh, going into the season. And so there are people out there, reckless people out there, shouting into maybe the soon void of the Twitter sphere, but it's still on Facebook, of course, so that will still exist. Sure. Uh, that want Brent or Andor his staff members fired. What would you say to those people right now? Just yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I just think that's even if you like, so first off, that's obviously you, they think it's a lot worse than I do. You don't want to play that game. I, I know it's hard and I know it's frustrating, but unless you like, there's a coach out there that you 100% know is a better coach than Brent Venables or, offensive coordinator a or defensive coordinator b or whatever unless you have like a hundred percent certainty continuity matters that 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 is that's like that's what clemson has chalked up to their success for a very long time obviously alabama and and nick saban have had turnover at the coordinator position but the head coaches stayed the same uh like that stuff matters continuity matters and like if you're just going to insert turmoil and it just be another risk of a unknown hire which brent is a known commodity but an unknown head coach Mm-hmm. If you're just going to, if you're just going to insert another one of those people, as far as we don't, we're not positive. This is going to work. That's risk for, for, for no necessity. I like you're already quote unquote, taking a risk on Brent 
why reset that with somebody new and just hope you like, I guess, strike lightning in a bottle. All right. All right calm down. That would be my two cents. And again, this roster is not very good. If two years from now, we're saying that sentence, this roster is not very good. Then I think we need to start having a larger que- or a larger conversation. But right now, it just kind of is what it is. Yeah, and that, that that's that that's my thought as well. Is a like I would say for people that are thinking that like it's just it's like give give them time. It's like yet there's context. A lot of people like want to ignore the context of the situation that uh, that is happening in Norman. Of uh, the situation that, of course uh of of like the mass exodus of players and like and you have players coming in from the portal but only a handful of them really really contributing if you would even say a handful of them really actually contributing well um and like just like pump the brakes and then of course like you said i i in two years in year three that's when i start to say hey where are we at where you reevaluate things where Hey, like it's it's this it's go time. This is essentially your team and what your vision is, what you've tried to create and what you've tried to start making. And that would be which the time to reevaluate things, reassess things. And who knows if Joe C is still here by then, or maybe there's a protege still in the works. Who knows? Um, I mean, do you think you do like do you do you think it's year three, year three, right? That he is reevaluated after that. Uh, yeah, barring some like utter disaster, right? I think like one in nine next year. Oh, yeah. in Big Twelve play, like two and two and eight, something like that. Um, Let's yeah. on tarmac. Yeah, something like, like something like that. Maybe like we'd have to have start having that conversation. How about this? I would actually, I don't know if this is gonna be like hot takey. If there's like four more West Virginia games, which I don't know about you, like that was the first game where at the end of it, I wasn't like mm, that wasn't just the players. Mm-hmm. There's some poor decisions in there. Yep. If if yep. there was three or four more of those, and you start like, wait, is this guy like making giant mistakes in games and costing us wins? Then you have to kind of start, you know, reevaluating yeah. that as well. So a couple of caveats, but yeah, I think year three is probably fair. And, and at that at that point, it's about. I mean, then you'd be one year away from potentially moving to the SEC. Do you want a first year head coach going into the SEC? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So that that rolls over another season, like. I, I I would say Brent probably knew that's taking the job. He's got a lot of job security. He got a lot of job security because Oklahoma knows this transition is coming and they bet on Brent. And if Brent's the wrong guy, I mean, are they really going to risk starting that whole process all over again, the year of, or the year before they go change to a different conference? I don't know. It's like Brent, Brent's got a pretty good deal here as far as knowing that he's got some leverage. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think I think Venables. I mean, I I think they're pretty tied to him and are like really laser focused on the, the athletic program in general. Is really laser focused on getting pieces around him to help him be more successful in the kind of the message and like like what we were talking about earlier, the message he wants to send out, but also the kind of players he wants to get. And so, going to the actual game. Both teams have stats that people wouldn't expected when mm-hmm. the preseason came out. Sure. Um, and their performances would be maybe vastly different uh, for both teams. And so what's talking about the Oklahoma State uh, side of things, as far as their weaknesses, 
what advantages do you think Oklahoma may have over the Cowboys? I think they're able to run the football. Uh, the defensive line for Oklahoma State that is uh, got a lot of great names and a lot of great pass rushers has struggled against the run this year. The linebacking core has not been good either. Uh, the injury thing is is tough for me to talk about, but everything we're hearing about Oklahoma State is especially the secondary. They're really banged up. Uh, so you assume there's going to be some opportunities there. But I would say secondary didn't play terrible last week, uh, despite being a lot of true freshmen and, and backups. Uh, so they'll have some some leverage there. I, I would actually say the thing statistically, if you like line them up opposite, the thing Oklahoma has the biggest advantage in is red zone offense versus defense. Oklahoma State's terrible in the red zone defensively. Mm. If you get inside the 25, you're scoring. Um, so... That is that is where the, the the rubber meets the road a little bit there as far as if Oklahoma can just play well between the 20s. They stand a pretty good chance of putting up some points uh, because Oklahoma's red zone offense has been okay. But again, Oklahoma State's off, red zone defense has been abysmal. As far as the opposite goes, it's funny because Oklahoma State is terrible in the red zone defensively, but they're amazing on third down. Hmm. So, so someone mm-hmm. explain that to me of how you could be amazing on third down and terrible in the red zone, but they're Spencer ninth in the Sanders country. Sanders' feet. Well, no, sorry, red zone de- or third down defense. Oh, third down defense. Yeah, yeah, they're they're ninth in the country in third down defense. Um, they only allow teams to convert twenty four percent of the time on third down. So, uh, you know, if you can live in third and short or or convert, you're going to be okay. If you can get inside the red zone, you're going to be okay. But which makes sense, right? Trace Ford and Tyler Lacey and Colin Oliver and all those pass rushers. You get to third and long, Oklahoma State's going to eat you alive. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of the the two juxtapositions right the two because oklahoma has been terrible on third down here recently yep so oklahoma, oklahoma state amazing on third down defense oklahoma terrible on third down offense and the opposite in the red zone it, it's a it's a weird dichotomy this game is really strange from a, like a statistical standpoint yeah so like talking more about because like oklahoma they should be able to pass on oklahoma state i mean at the same time they should have been able to pass on west virginia but they had so much success with their gray that there wasn't really a need to because they took what they gave them, but also Eric Gray just Eric Gray on West Virginia, and they still yeah. didn't get the job done. Um, but and so that was that's something else that Oklahoma fans, you know, like were thinking, okay, Oklahoma should be able to move the ball, but they also thought they were should be able to move the ball in Morgantown, which they did, but didn't necessarily end up in points and missed and missed ended up. Did in... you see the the viral tweet from the old Miss reporter this past week? No, what was it? Um, Jeff Levy, this is a guy who covered Ole Miss for a year. Yeah. He said something along the lines of like, Jeff Levy's offense can get you 30 yards anytime you don't need it. Can't get you three yards when you have to have it. Mm. And uh, like, I, like, I, I don't know if it's the recency bias of the West Virginia game, but man, were they racking up yards that just didn't end up mattering at all. Yeah. And that, and that's the, that's, that's the thing that constantly drives me mad is the, they're constant, they're, they are consistently inconsistent on offense. They'll show you life of offense of 20 yards, 15 yards, eight yards, 10 yards. And then you sputter on first down. And then suddenly it's okay. If they don't get like five yards on second down, they are in some major trouble on third down or at least this iteration, because what killed them against West Virginia was they're moving the ball just fine the entire game. But, Third and short, fourth and short. Yep. Nothing doing. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. It's unbelievable yeah. to me. And, yeah. it, and is that like the main advantage, like you were saying, like in the trenches, that where this game is likely to be won, 
again in, in bedlam is that what you're saying like osu that would be their advantage with oh, OU? i mean best unit on the field um might be oklahoma's offensive line like mm-hmm. like as far as like everything included i think oklahoma state's defensive line is everyone's natural reaction again that that unit's not been good against the run all year oklahoma's offensive line is playing really well they might be the best um and if you were saying like hey what one position group could carry oklahoma on the on their backs to a win it's got to be the offensive line now that that's an that leads you to an interesting place, which is Jeff Levy has ran the ball to like his statistical prediction, which is mm-hmm. 57-ish percent of the time, which is what, like if you go look at Oklahoma's numbers, they're running the ball more than they're throwing it. However, uh, if you go to key situations, third downs, red zones, uh, fourth down conversions, fourth quarter drives, things like that. Mm-hmm. They are way more pass happy, way more pass happy. So I, I this is going to send Oklahoma fans over, over a bridge, but from a math standpoint, they have a little bit of Lincoln Riley in them, which is they run the ball really well early. And then when the game is on the line, they have something that they've drawn up that they really like in the passing game. And they get away from it and they get away from it and they go do that. And West Virginia is a good example. And it's funny too, because they, talked about it like that third quarter those third downs third and short second and short they're throwing it and then the fourth quarter they get they totally take dylan gabriel out of the game and at that point it's like okay this is too late right and they talk well you know we couldn't put the the ball in dylan's hands the weather was playing a big role it's like yeah but like in every crucial situation for almost three quarters of the game that's the only thing you did it's right. so like i'm glad you realized that mistake but maybe a little bit too a little too late like it's it's a tendency of Jeff Levy and this Oklahoma state game will be a great test of his commitment to on third and four, be willing to hand the ball off to Eric gray, as opposed to running some jet sweep motion and, and Jaleel Farouk cutting over the middle. Like I get why offensive coordinators love those plays. That's where Jeff Levy has tended to go on crucial downs, but Oklahoma is so much better at running the football than Oklahoma state could ever possibly guard that it'd be in their best interest to have Javante Barnes and Eric gray, both have 22 carries on Saturday. And that's what I'm hoping for is that a more healthy Javante Barnes, because I do not understand how you see Eric Gray, who is patient with the offensive line. You look at West Virginia, what he's, what he did with against Iowa state, et cetera. The kind of season he's had so far that I thought maybe he would, I would thought he would get over a thousand yards. I didn't think he'd go over 1200 yards um, with, you know, two games left to go. And, and with the patience in which he operates in Oklahoma, just on third and short, and all of a sudden you see Marcus Major trot on the field, and I'm thinking, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And earlier you've seen the wild cow with Eric Gray look really, really great. Not, I haven't really, you hadn't really seen it stopped. Wild cow with Braden Willis, you haven't really seen it stopped. And then like even like this, even like the sweep to Jill Farouk, who. I mean, looks he's a very thick wide receiver, can run the ball well, uh, like even okay there. But it's just so odd in how they've just been these pistol sets and just flat out nothing at the line yeah. of scrimmage and yeah, so, just death. Yeah, Ryan Chapman, uh, who I do a show with, obviously, then allsooners.com. Uh, he has like, the thing that's like irked him. Right, like this is the thing that's gotten under his skin about the offense here lately, is that in the first quarter, they are running the Jaleel Farouk running game, the Drake Stoops reverses, 
right? They're doing all this, this trickeration in these creative ways to run the football with success. Jaleel Farouk's averaging almost 10 yards a carry mm-hmm. this year, right? Like they're doing all this with a lot of success and the expect the, the reasoning for doing something like that is to make the defense respect that it could happen again and therefore maybe open up something else. But Oklahoma never goes back to it. Yeah. And that never happens again. Right. And so like, it just never happens again. Unless it's so, like, like yeah, five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Right. And so like, it's a little bit of this, like, I, I, I don't want to assume I've never coached a game of football in my life, but my perception of that would be like, they go into a pre a, a meeting getting ready for the game. And they're like, we're going to call X, Y, and Z because that's going to make ABC better later. And like, they just call X, Y, and Z almost back to back to back out of obligation. Right. Like let's get these, let's get these crappy plays knocked out. Like these tricky plays that we're never going to come back. Let's just get these over with. We're going to get these done on the first drive. And then, you know, we'll, we'll get to our bread and butter stuff later on. But in reality, again, you, you, you have to show that you're willing to do that stuff mildly consistency. So they, they actually fear that it's mm-hmm. coming. I don't know if one team that Oklahoma's played this year has been like worried about Jaleel Farouk in the run game, despite he's been incredibly successful at it. Um, it's like the thing that is driving Chapman crazy. No, yeah, and, and understandably so. And so, how do you see this game? You know, it, it's under the bright lights. You actually have a night game for Bedlam, despite the fact that in in, in your in you're not even bowl eligible yet against right. your rival, uh, primetime ABC. How do you see this game playing out? What is a score prediction that you have? Because I saw I saw some of your bets today on Twitter, uh, if, as if it still runs, if if it's still there tomorrow. But yeah. well, what do you think? Oh God, I didn't even think about that. I track so much stuff for my show on Twitter. I don't put it anywhere else. I just tweet it because I know I can find it later. Yeah. Oh gosh, I never thought about that. Um. Yeah, I. This is a a game where I think people are going to be expecting a lot of points, and maybe they're right. I've been wrong about a ton of stuff. I was wrong about the West Virginia game, right? I thought I was expecting a lot of points. The weather played a role in that one. We didn't get it. So I think a lot of people are going to be expecting a lot of points. I'm not. I I think these two offenses are struggling right now. I think these two defenses are not very good, which is why everybody's expecting the points. My reaction is that the defenses are going to play okay, but the offenses are going to be out of sync. Spencer Sanders is hurt. The Oklahoma offense has been out of sync all year, right? And so like, there's going to be like, oh, that was a nice play by mason cobb oh that was a good play by ethan downs oh and spitzer sanders missed that one. Oh, and dylan gabriel overthrew that guy by four yards and so like is that great defense or is that just offensive miscues it's a mixture of both right and like that's kind of my expectations where maybe this is a little bit more of a slugfest that people are expecting just because these offenses can't get out of their own way and the, the sanders injury is is one of those factors for me kind of going into it so i i think that it's gonna be a little bit more low scoring than people think I think Oklahoma State, especially because Mike Gundy always goes super conservative in this game from a game plan standpoint, is going to play a little bit of ball control. They're going to try to let Dominic Richardson, who's a little bit more healthy than he was a week ago, uh, and Nixon, those other running backs, play a little bit bigger of a role. And, and maybe there's fewer possessions than people are expecting. So that being said, close, low-scoring game. Okay, what's your deciding factor? For me, it's always the quarterback. So I would just like, here's how I made my decision. Tie ball game, three minutes left, third and nine. Who do you want under center? Dylan Gabriel or Spencer Sanders? I would rather have Spencer Sanders right now. Uh, And so, like, that's how I made my choice. I'm going to take Oklahoma State because I think Spencer Sanders has shown the ability to make big plays when they're needed. 
mm-hmm. right? Like Dylan Gabriel has made big plays. Dylan Gabriel has not made game ceiling plays, giant conversions in fourth quarters, especially with opportunities to do so. Right. And like they've had a bunch of them. They played a bunch of close games and they haven't really done any of that except for against Iowa state, which still to your point earlier, feels a little fuzzy. Like outside of that, they've been pretty bad at it. Oklahoma state has actually been pretty good at it when they've been in games. They've closed. Well, the the only exception is TCU, Um, but you know, now we know TCU has the number three offense in the country. So like my, that's my, that's my decision making. I just made it super simple. Is tight game. I'd rather have Spencer Sanders than Dylan Gabriel right now, injured and all. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I'm on the same way. I feel like the game. I mean, I feel like the game's going to be about 34-31. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning Oklahoma State by three in Norman. I think Mike Gundy. I think I, I think Sanders plays. Of course, he said he expects two. Gundy's like, hey, if he wants to play, I'm excited. Whatever, whatever. You know, yeah. like we'll know when the snap is actually taken. If it's if it's Gunner Gundy or or if it's Spencer Sanders, uh, if it's if it's if it's if it's Gundy, then well, you know. But Sanders seems like the guy that's gonna that's gonna play. And so I'm looking at this team. I think okay, spent this this Oklahoma team has had issues with quarterbacks that can run the ball all year long. And it killed them against West Virginia. They didn't get beat by JT Daniels. They got beat by Garrett Green. Or not Garrett Green. Garrett Green. Green. Yeah, they got beat by Garrett Green because he had the ability to use his feet and create this feet, and it threw the defense for a loop. And, of course, I don't think the Oklahoma defense is under any guys that Spencer Sanders isn't playing this week, but they've still not shown the ability this entire year to do so. And so to Chisholm, to your point, like Spencer Sanders does have that big playability that even with the hurt shoulder, a bum shoulder, he still has his legs and he still is going to dive when necessary and take care of business when necessary, especially with Oklahoma state trying to force Oklahoma to do the run fits. Um, Is his hurt shoulder his throwing shoulder? Yeah. But even then, with this Oklahoma secondary, it's just like it's just not a, it's not something you can rely upon. If you don't feel like, but at the same time, it's the flip side of the coin as well. I don't think Oklahoma State's offensive line is too terrible, and so I also lean yeah. Oklahoma State uh, 34-31, somewhere around that area. Again, one of those games uh, that we talked about for the rest of the year. Oklahoma can, the good news is Oklahoma can win all these games. Bad news is Oklahoma could lose all these games. Sure. And all of them have been one possession games for Oklahoma. And one of them just a week ago had a 10 point lead um, and kind of squandered it just because I said, you know, as soon as Oklahoma went up 10, nothing, the easy touchdown, I said, watch West Virginia go and score in the next 30 seconds. And that's exactly what happened. And this team is consistently inconsistent. So, yeah, there's a method of madness to the players, the coaching staff and the fans about complimentary football within the three close games they've been a part of so far to you. Why can't Oklahoma get on the same page? Or is it more of what the other teams are doing that force you into tough spots? Is it because they're still learning their positions? Um, uh-huh. Is it, is it a, it's a multitude of things is it a play calling where the defense is back on the field, maybe 45 seconds after they've been off the field. Like, is it a contrast of styles? What What is, is, is it just Oklahoma just shooting themselves in the foot? I mean, like, yeah. heck, Oklahoma gets behind the chains of first down, and we already already know 
we've already come to our conclusion. Oh, well, this sequence is probably not going to go well. Like, yeah. what do you think? It's, it's so many things. Um, I would, I would put it the most simply is the one thing that we thought was going to get baked into this team, which was being fundamentally sound has just not happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Offensively it's, it's, pre-snap penalties and bad holding calls and, and missing throws and those things defensively it's missed assignments in the run game and blown coverages on the back end and not setting the edge, right. And over committing, like over penetrating as a defensive tackle. It's, it's the simple stuff. It, it's not simple to do, but it's simple to explain that's gotten Oklahoma over and over and over again. Uh, and it's been their problem this year, last year, the year prior. Um, it, it's somehow baked into their DNA, their OU DNA at the moment. And I, I we thought that Brent was going to be able to kind of kind of bake some of that out of it. It has not happened this year. And like if I was going to like kind of chalk it up to one thing is that this is just a very unfundamentally sound football team. And that leads to them, to your point, being very inconsistent in a whole lot of areas. Of course, they have a bunch of talent, so every so often they could pop off and make a big play. But if, if a team is willing to be patient, Oklahoma will let them back into a game, let them back into a series, let them back into a drive by some error somewhere that most of the time is going to be a mental error. And it, it's, so, it's so interesting to see the contrast of what is happening at USC where – you Lincoln Riley was able to go and and you know he he brings both Williams with them Caleb and Mario he gets Addison from Pittsburgh and other other transfer high high sure. profile transfer transfer portal guys and you can still see all the issues within the SEC program specifically the defense um but since they have guys that can drop 50 points a game yeah. They aren't viewed as suffering as much. They're talked about for playoff contention, despite the fact that everybody knows just as well that they would get smashed in the playoffs. Yeah, they're, they're Oklahoma, just like every but year. Oklahoma they just playoff. have they brought all that talent with them, and it, it's it, it's interesting to think about. It, it's pretty clear that like we of all fan bases, like Oklahoma fans should have this nailed down: is that if you have elite elite quarterback play with a and you know everybody yeah. will now suddenly disagree with me, but with a really good play caller, right? You can cover up a lot. Mm-hmm. You can beat a lot of average football teams with an elite, elite quarterback and a good play caller. You can't, you can't beat the best, which obviously we saw firsthand. And USC, you know, the one tough game they played this year against Utah, obviously they lost. Now, yep, could have won, but they didn't. Uh, they have a good game against UCLA this weekend. We'll see, but. Elite quarterback play can paper over a lot against average to below average opponents. And Oklahoma does not have that. And they've have had that for a long time. And I think some of these issues were here, obviously when Lincoln was here, obviously, uh, but they just didn't matter as much if Oklahoma was going to score on 80% of their drops. And that's just kind yeah. of the truth of it. Yeah. And so going off of that, some of the weird things in going on in Oklahoma world is, what the hell is going on in Danny Stutzman world right now? I mean, like you have from him first on the podcast with, you know, Brayden Willis and Jeremiah Hall, which is sometimes interesting because Jeremiah like talks about his NFL career and it's like a little bit odd. Uh, but Stutzman, like 
I, I, I get I get the comments and the outrage of Stutzman like in like making making a goof of himself about the Venables stuff. But at the self at the same time, I'm like, what what are they expecting to him to do on a friends podcast? Like, do they expect him to self-deprecate himself or like something like that? Like, do they like go go to Ethan Downs for a comment about if if you want to talk about like what this defense needs to work on sure. instead of Danny Stutzman the goofball? Um, but then there's now rumor of him maybe not playing at linebacker uh, for for Bedlam, and so if Jaron Gannick decided to step in uh, for Bedlam, what would you what would immediately what would what, what would you think? I think the defense gets worse because Jaron Gannick has had less snaps, and I I think that's been a mistake all year. Uh, I, the kid didn't need to play more snaps than Aguebu, but mm-hmm. for him just to have large sections of the season where he was just playing no meaningful snaps, I, I just frankly I do feel like that was a mistake. Um, I don't know what to make of the Danny Stutzman stuff. Uh, I, I've asked a couple people and I get told kind of the same thing, which is like, yeah, it's a rumor. Yeah, uh, and so like I have no idea if that's true or not. I will say I th- I think I'm trying to think. One second. My gut tells me West Virginia is his best game he's ever played uh, at Oklahoma. It's good. Uh, he was really, really good against West Virginia. And Stutzman's problem largely has been like incredible first quarter, average second quarter, below yeah. average third quarter, a problem in the fourth quarter. Uh, he was really good against West Virginia. Um, so the, the the whole, the the arc of these past, like whatever it is, 10 days has been strange. The podcast was a strange thing. I just, I just don't know if I would ever go on a podcast and like make those jokes about my coach. You yeah, know, maybe like, have self awareness next time though. Yeah, like you know, making a joke about even yourself. Even though you're having but, fun, but come on. Yeah, like making a joke about yourself is one thing. Making a joke about like not taking your coach seriously that I struggle with like understanding how you could do think that was okay. But you know what? I was twenty once. I've done a lot of dumb stuff in yep. my life. You know, who am I? Um, but then to go out and play really well, uh, best game he's played. And now this stuff, I don't know. It's potentially this stuff. I don't, I don't want to even make it sound like I know this to be true because I don't. Um, it's strange. It's a, it's a strange timeline for Danny. And then so this season, it, I was trying to think about this season and how it made me feel just for the football team in general. And it reminded me of the, the Trey Young year that OU basketball had. I think at one point OU basketball, well, they were like top two, three in the nation uh, with Trey Young as their point guard. Everything was really, really awesome. And then by the end of the season, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm dreading Selection Sunday if their name gets called, especially if Oklahoma State gets left out, which is exactly what happened. Like there was a sense of, dread of you knew what was going to happen at the end of games even though those games were likely tight games is is that an accurate depiction of like what's happening this year uh yeah i mean it's a similar feeling um yeah i mean i I think it's more than fair a little bit less of like superstar player a little bit more of you know just kind of expectations baked Mm -hmm. into it but yeah the 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 fourth quarter stuff it's the second halves, the closed games, the the defense getting stops throughout games and then just can't buy one late, right? And then the offense sputtering, sputtering, sputtering all throughout the day. And then all of a sudden, like, sorry, putting up big yards, big chunk plays, handful of points. And then the fourth quarter, third and short has no chance. Yep. It's 
it's bizarre. It, it, it is really, really strange. And it, it's one of the harder teams to explain to people. I have a buddy in Philadelphia who covers the Eagles. And I talk to him all the time. And he's actually I was talking to him yesterday. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, what's going on with Oklahoma? Like, he never asked me that. And I was like, if you didn't know how loaded of a question that was. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, how like, how much ha- time do you have? Yeah, I don't have hands, 25 buddy. minutes to like yeah. try to talk through this with you, but like it's, there's a lot of things kind of all going on at once and none of it really makes sense. And it's all happening at the same time. And everyone's just trying to tread water. Yeah. Yeah. But basically if they're, if they're up 10, they're fine. If they're in a close game, it, it's, it's going to be the same thing that we've seen week after week after week. And the, Oh man, the special team stuff. We didn't even talk about that. What's up with all these giant kick returns in fourth quarters? I've never seen anything like this in my life. Every fourth quarter that's close, there's some 50-yard kick return. Yeah. They they go up they go up 10 points. Yeah. Or they go up they go up a touchdown. Next thing they, you know, they've been down. The, the, like Kansas the State, they're down line. double digits. They tie it and then they give up the 60-yard kick return. It's like, yeah, man, you just built all this momentum. And that's the thing. That's that's the story of the season. It's it is two steps forward. Like three steps back, right to where you, you know, right to where right before you began. It's that's the most frustrating thing. There, they are they are consistently, consistently, consistently inconsistent, one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, it's wild. I've never seen football like that, especially at Oklahoma. Of course, like the John Blake years, you didn't you expected to be consistently bad. You did not. You didn't see them be consistently inconsistent. Schnellenberger, they were consistently bad. This is just. You can see them have success here, and you can see them have success here, and they never will. They've never matched up at all this season, with the exception of maybe a couple of games, in one of which their uh, Kansas, their starting quarterback, had just gotten hurt the a couple of games prior to, and so on a scale of one to ten. One being super likely, the most likely. What would your confidence level in OU playing in a bowl game be right now? And mind you, they have a twenty-three game, twenty-three bowl streak, which yeah. is the second longest in the country. Yeah, you want to keep those records rolling. Um, oh man, it's it's it, it's. I don't know about you, but like, if they lose this game, there is zero percent chance they go to Lubbock and rally the troops. I can't imagine like. that they like, you know what, guys? I know we just lost to Oklahoma State at home, and I know this is our third, our second three-game losing streak of the year, but let me tell you, let's get back in the saddle. Let's go to Lubbock for a night game. Gets with Joey McGuire and those yeah. guys that go for on fourth all the time. Yeah, and, and that defensive line, like I talked about it last week, they're, they are playing like maniacs right now. I No, I, I just can't see that. I can't, I can't see them losing to Oklahoma State and turning around and beating Texas Tech. So it's just if you think they're going to win Bedlam or not. I would lean no right now. I picked Oklahoma State to win the game. I think it's possible. I Like scale, of, like you said, 1 to 10. Yeah. 4. Like a 40% chance, right? Because I think Bedlam's close. Uh, but and if they beat Oklahoma State and they get a little bit of momentum, maybe they go up to Lubbock and do something. But like I just think the buy-in is going to plummet uh, if, they, if they lose to Oklahoma State again. And and then they have to go travel for a night game where people are throwing tortillas at them. Like I just, with the way those Texas Tech Red Raiders are playing right now, I just I just don't know if that's good timing. Yeah, and that that's exactly what I was thinking was this would be the weekend that would propel them maybe to a possible seven and five season that would maybe reflect some of that ninety nine season, sure. or 
is it going to be that five and seven season where it still reflects some of that 99 season where they played well, they were ahead in the majority of the games they lost and they just could not finish it or win it or really even had that talent um, to do so uh, with the exception of a couple of guys on the team that were really, really stood out. And I'm, I also lean toward a four. I'm not convinced that Oklahoma can make the necessary plays against Spencer Sanders. I'm not convinced that the offense can, can consistently move the ball on Oklahoma State, let alone Texas Tech and how they're playing right now as well on defense, despite how weird their offense might be as well at Texas Tech. And so team leadership, accountability. Do you think that this is an issue from the players on their side of things as far as leadership and accountability? Because in the years past, we've seen big emergent leaders on the team. This year, it feels like, like, oh, yeah, like Dylan's the leader, but do, do you get any sense of, like, who's the alpha on this team or who are the alphas on this team that would do that? Like, besides Justin yeah. Broyles, maybe? I mean, you would want your yeah. most talented players to be the alphas on the team. That's what Kenneth Murray was. That's what Baker Mayfield was. And so what What do you get that? What Do you do you get that at all? I... uh that would be one of my complaints about Brent as I this year is I think he oversold the leadership thing a little bit is I think right now in that locker room, they have a ton of nice guys. I think mm-hmm. those guys, I think those guys are amazing. Uh, really kind. Every time I talk to them, very thoughtful, love Oklahoma, love each other, love spending time with each other. And I think like, well, Chisholm, what, like, why are you saying that they're not great leadership material right now is look what Brent said after the West Virginia game. We've got a lot of guys in there who are emotional but they need to be pissed. I think they have a lot of guys who love OU football, who love playing together, but they don't have an edge, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have the, every loss is disrespectful, right? Like they, they don't have, I I, I don't, I'll say the word anger because I, I I struggle with vocabulary sometimes, but that, right. The The tenacity, they don't have it. And I, I don't know who in that locker room does because their quarterback definitely does not, right? And we knew that coming into it. I don't know who it is, who would be on defense because Jalen Redmond's not that way. David Aguebo's not that way. No. I think they've got a lot of guys who try really hard in practice. I think they've got a lot of guys who will do exactly what they're asked of. Maybe not any extra, but they'll do exactly what people ask them to do. I don't think we have a lot of guys who are willing to yell at another guy. That's right? exactly or, what I keep on I, thinking I about. I don't think they I don't think they have that guy in the room, offensively or defensively. I mean, Marvin Mims, probably the best player on off eh, him or Anton Harrison, whatever, right? But like Marvin Mims is the last guy to yell at somebody. Anton yep. Harrison is a, is the last guy I can imagine from a personality standpoint to yell at somebody. Like, like the only person are. that I can think of that yells at his teammates is Justin Broyles. That's the only yeah. person I can think of on the team right now. Yeah. And Maybe maybe that's the only person we see publicly, sure. but that's the only person I see. No, no, no. I, I think you're. I think you're spot on. I, I I don't think there's a lot of team correction. I think all the correction is coming from the coaching staff, all of it. Um, do you think that's, that's just, a transition period thing, or do you think that's a culture thing, or what is that? I think that's a. I think that's a culture thing. I I think that is a lot of things that Lincoln Riley gets blamed for. I just frankly get bored by now and roll my eyes. Because like we we can't do that forever. We can't. Yeah. I would say one thing is like Lincoln very much wanted to be the driving personality in the room. Yep. And so I I just 
I'm not saying that he was intentionally going out and getting guys who weren't that way, but I also don't think he prioritized it at all. I don't think, mm. I don't think he really cared because he just knew his quarterback was going to be very good and everyone was going to follow his quarterback's lead. Um, and so he just kind of, he just relied on that so heavily that I think it's just kind of the guys that were left over. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't think there's that dominant personality from a, like who's giving the halftime speech, right? When right. Then you see up. like those guys, those Jaron Canics that were recruited and you see a totally different mentality as far as approach to the game yeah. is what I think about. Yeah. 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 I mean, Jer- Jaron Canick, you know, again, I, I haven't talked to Jaron specifically, specifically talk- takes football really seriously. I, I don't know how many of those guys are uh, there mm-hmm. right now. So that would be my two cents about the leadership stuff is I think there's a lot of really nice guys who build each other up, who are really supportive, who are very helpful, who are very kind, who are very mm-hmm. gracious. There's not an asshole in the bunch. And every so often you need an asshole to tell everybody else that like, hey, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to do better. And I just don't yeah. know that that person say that other than the coaching staff. It's just like in basketball. You you want that enforcer. You want that voice in the locker room. You need the same thing for all those guys, those all those scholarship guys on the team. And again, you would always prefer it to be at least one of your best players that is the driving force of that and not just the coach. I mean, like the coaches can preach all they want, but until the players actively do it and like engulf that into themselves, that's going to be not an issue. Again, I'm not, I'm not by any means saying that the players are going to grow in their leadership styles because people lead in different ways. And it's going to take maybe some personal growth and personal reflection as well, especially over that off season. Uh, which, however, the season turns out, whether it's seven and five, whether it's six and six in a bowl game, whatever, maybe five and seven, we don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe young guy, you know, like Jaleel Farouk, right? He's a true sophomore right now. He's yeah. gonna be, he's gonna be a big time. He's gonna be a big part of their offense next year. Maybe mm-hmm. he kind of grows into that. We don't know. Uh, but like, yeah, no, I, I think that is a big question for this team about because that they, they can't do that two years in a row either, right? Yeah, like, I wonder yeah. about it. Yeah. I, I wonder is, is Ethan Downs going to Big 12 Media Days next year? Yeah, you'd have to now. You would assume. You would, you would assume. And so, know. it's just odd. It's the oddest feeling. Yeah. It, it is It is strange. It is strange to watch a team function like this. Yeah. And again, I, when I, Britt said that in the post-game show, I'm like, I'm so glad he said that. Because, like, there's no way for us to know that, right? Mm-hmm. At all. Unless someone tells us. And I was so glad that he said that. Because I was like, golly, does that feel like that's what we watch every Saturday? Is a really emotional team, but not a team playing with anger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, I, well, because I, you can you can tell their body language on the field. It's like, yeah, we're up 10. All right, we just dropped seven points in a matter of 30 seconds, and you see the body language slump again unless the offense breaks off like two big plays in a row, and then they're back in business. And and, and you can see like how they they ride that momentum really high. It's, it's, it's like soccer. Somebody scores a goal. The most likely chance of the next score being scored is within the next five minutes of that first initial goals because the other team is still riding high on emotion and not executing like they should be. And it's the same thing with this team. It's the oddest thing. I've, I haven't yeah. seen it. I haven't yeah. seen it. But Chisholm, the next time we speak, it will likely have been after Turkey Day yeah. um, before the Sooners take on the Red Raiders. Tis the season. What you think before this year, brother? Oh uh, man, I got a new kid this year. First year with the uh, with the old baby on Thanksgiving. How can I, how can I pick anything different than that? How how is how how is how is the child? How how is everything going? Uh, he's a baby. 
Uh, and so he's a lot of work. Uh, he's yeah, a you lot said, of fun. You said you woke up at 3 a.m. for at oh, a group yeah, text. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, that is uh, that is a thing that we are not crushing right now, which is we are still very liquid heavy, which means he does not sleep through the night. So mm. we're still getting up three, four times every night to uh, to keep his stum- his tummy full so he can stay asleep. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, I mean, I'm just thankful for – all y'all thankful for there you go. Just, just the pot, pot. I mean, like we get to hop on and talk sports and people listen and that's fun. It's and it's a good time. And so thankful for that. Thankful for just, just general good health. My hand is healing. Apparently after I broke my hand, the doctor said I have extra bone growth uh, because of it. It's overcompensating, but they're like, Hey, it won't adjust your lifestyle at any capacity. So you're good to go. So, Good news all around. Yeah, so, no doubt about it. Anyways, you got anything else left to say? Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you hanging out with me today, man. Well, of course. Anytime. So, hey, guys, follow us on Crimson and Cream Machine.com and on Twitter. You can find me at CameronBNCCM. You can follow Chisholm at, Ch- Ch- at Chisholm Holland. You can follow Crimson Cream Machine at CC Machine. Thank you guys for listening and supporting us. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We will see you guys later.